Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. The passing away of Kelsey Heyman. You don't know these people are so young. You don't realize in a family that a husband can pass away just a couple years ago and then a daughter pass away. There is no promise of tomorrow, church. There's no promise of five more minutes from now. I rec- I, I remi- I'm reminded, turn to Psalm chapter 39, verses 4 and 5, just while you're turning there, I want to talk for just a moment. You know, it's really, and I think it's a lot to do with the human condition, the mental ability for us to comprehend our own death is very difficult. Nobody wants to think about that. What is the thing that everybody puts off? Doing wills, life insurance. They don't want to go to their bank and a husband and wife. We don't want to put Bill and Susan or whatever their names are. Though no, they want to have Bill or, or uh, I'm sorry, it should be Bill or not Bill and. Okay? Why do you do that? Because it makes less of a mess down the road because once you're gone, if it's Bill and, then guess what? Both you have to sign it. If you have your cars, you really need to put it in either one of them and then probate, can, you can deal with that eas- easier than like that. But when you have both of them, it can cause a big mess for you. I say all this because Americans are notoriously complacent about end-of-life issues. How do I know that? I know that better than anybody. Who wants to sit around and think about the day that the world's not going to any longer be your home, especially if you're at the process of life where you're actually enjoying it. Not many, right? There's times in your life you'd have written your will, you'd have cashed in on it if you could. There's difficult times in lives where you are like Job sometimes and you do not even want to be breathing. You wish the day that you had been conceived had been cursed, as Job said, right? There's times like that, but the majority of times in life, unless there's something desperately wrong with you, that are days when you don't desire to depart. You are ready to enjoy the time you have with family, see your grandchildren, your children uh, you know, grow up and get married and all those things. There's these, these promised hope. We have hope. We have hope that tomorrow's gonna be better. If you have pain, you have the hope that tomorrow when you wake up, your pain's not gonna be as bad. Or maybe you have the, the hope that tomorrow when you wake up, you are gonna have a whole new, in other, your whole entire universe changes in a sense. Something that's been struggling, you've been battling. Somebody today called me and asked me to call him, and I said, I can call you at this time. So in the meantime, uh, this person had had to get a question answered, and that was the perfect amount of time. So when the person called, they said, you know, if I'd have given you the conversation I had with you three hours ago, it would have been totally different than the one now. And I'm so thankful. And I just said, see, God's growing your faith, God's growing your t- trust, and God's timing is perfect. And tonight, though, this is what I want to tell you. I want to reiterate to you, as you know, last week with Kevin Mosier's death. Church, these are people we knew. These are people that sat in these pews over the years. These are not people that are distant. Some of you who are newer, you would not know who these two people that I've referenced just in the last few minutes. But these are people who came in week in and week out, sat next to us in the pews. That's just the couple I'm mentioning from the last week. We're not mentioning the last, over the last 15 years who have gone home to their eternal home that we knew that sat in these pews week in and week out. What do I say this for? Do I want to get you nervous? Do I want to get you fearful? No, there's no fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, amen? 
We know that Scripture says when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I can assure you there's only one way this should be a horror or something you fear. If you don't know your eternal home tonight, if you do not know what would happen tonight, if you breathed your last breath, you say, well, I hope I'd go to heaven. I want to assure you that is not an answer. Do you hear me? That is about as good as, well, I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to help everybody. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this. And I'm almost cynical about it because I've heard this so many times, not in this church. I've heard sometimes some people mention that, but we've gotten that straightened out. But in the, the regular daily life that I hear, I hear it consistently. I've tried to do the right thing and help people. I've just tried to, you know, I'm just trying to, to equal out the old balance there. There's no way in the world. You're going to tell me that you can do enough works that's going to justify and you're going to be able to, in other words, make yourself righteous in the sight of the holy and living God and you are going to bypass his son's gift of salvation, his bloodshed and death on the cross because you did enough good works. The very concept is an affront to the holy and righteous God. Amen? It is an affront to the holiness of Jesus Christ's desire for us to recognize we're broken, we're lost, we're sinners separated from him. What a beautiful picture when we recognize that. And what's the biggest picture of this is? There's nothing that we can do to earn this. Nothing. It is by grace through faith. That is right there. The free gift of salvation. That's why it's so important. And maybe God's had me share this tonight, even the whole message with someone watching online. I don't know. Uh, I said to someone today in reference to a death with someone, this is, oh, matter of fact, it was Mennonite, man, I, I, I spent some time with today. And it was really cool because he's a real hardcore New Testament lover of the scripture. We were talking about, act, we were talking, it was really, a, I had a really good time with this fella. But um, we were talking about, you know, righteousness is filthy rags, talking about Paul. And it's just so profound because, you know, they live a whole entire different existence than we do. But I really respect a lot of what they do because, you know, they're in the world but not of the world. They want to be set apart. And it was just so awesome to hear him rejoice in the New Covenant, New Testament promises of God's word. And I'd share with him that we've been in Acts for 60 whatever weeks now. And he says, oh, man, that's awesome. You could stay in each chapter for months. He said there's verses you could stay in for months. And it was just so encouraging because I have some other friends of other conservative sects who are more Old Testament law followers. But this is what's so important tonight, church. What matters is it's not Southern Baptist. It doesn't matter tonight where you go and hang out and do Bible study. I don't care, and you shouldn't care. You should want to do it as a part of fellowship, and it's wonderful that we come here and we do what God calls us to do and Hebrews 10.25 commands us to do. But I hope tonight, as my dear brother said today, you ready? Are you converted? Are you converted? I love the word. I've used that word tons of times. You hear me say a follower of Christ. What is a conversion? A conversion is a 180 degree turn. You turn from the direction you're going, you turn to Christ. A hundred, not a 360, that's going back the same way. You say, I did a 360 degree turn. Oh no, you're in trouble. You'd be at a 180 degree turn, I pray. And I pray that you are a new creation in Christ, but most of all that you have been converted all right, what, is, what if you have something that's a direct current and you have an alternating current, which is the plugs here in your building, in your house, if you need something to go to direct current, it's got to convert it, doesn't it? 
It has to change it into something that it's not. Or if you have, I don't know why in the world you go from direct to alternating, but if you could, you'd have to be converted, and it would have to be converted over. If it was not converted, what would happen? You'd burn it up, right? It'd probably spontaneously combust, and you'd have a mess. Followers of Jesus Christ must be converted. As John 3.16 talks about, that's the picture of conversion, but remember what Nicodemus, what? Must be born again. A whole entire principle of thinking, your whole entire everything. Crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It is a conversion, it's a transformation that occurs because of the work of God, not because of human intellect, not because of human happenstance or anything to do with us, not because, oh, I wasn't real bad like the guy out there or the woman out there, and I didn't do the things that other people did, and, you know, I finally got my life together, and then I got saved. If you got your life together and got saved, we need to talk because you can't get your life together, nor can I. Amen? You come to a God that gets lives together, and we come to him the same way that Paul on the road, Saul on the road to Damascus, the same way that the tax collector, Zacchaeus, the same way that the Samaritan, the woman at the well, and all of these people that met Jesus met them in the depth of their brokenness, the depth of their depravity. They realized that there was nothing they could do to bridge that gap. Such a beautiful picture of what conversion is. It's someone who has been completely transformed by the renewing of their mind. This is what I want each person to do, and I really want you to do this. I want you to step back and even introspectively, meaning look at yourself tonight. Think about your heart. Think about your mind. Think about your motivations for what you do. Think about whether tonight, if you... Stopping your paying attention to what I'm saying. I want you to think tonight, if you breathe your last breath and you stand in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. Brothers and sisters, Matthew chapter seven, by their fruits you will know them. That dear man today was sharing with me today about how they've had some in their sect who have gone astray. And I loved what he said. He said, brother, they were not converted. He said, those ones that went back, they were not converted. When someone's converted, what are they? He who began a good work and you will perform it today, Christ Jesus. They were, they did not remain in you. Why? Because they were not of you. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 66. Read, that's a good one, by the way. Uh, they, the, Jesus is teaching, and what does he say? They say in John 66, 65, I believe it is. Hey, teacher, this is hard. Who can bear this? Ready for this? Many of them, in John 6, 66, many of them turned and no longer followed him. He turns the remaining and says what? You want to go too? They said, teacher, we have nothing to go back to. You have the words of life. That's what I tell you tonight. We have words of life, not because I say it, not because we have some corner on theology because we're long. No, it's because God's word gives us the corner on theology. It is the supreme expositor of truth. It is this supreme word of God to us. He's given us to, tonight for all of us to know him, to know our sinful state apart from him, to know the path to eternal life. Know that wide is that gate and broad is that road that leads to destruction. And many are, many are there that go, but narrow is the road that leads to life. Matthew 7 again, and only a few find it. Why is this important? I'm gonna tell you why it's important. Because our obituaries are full of people just like us. 
And I don't want to sit here and live in a fairy tale world to believe that every, everybody that I've seen in a church body, that if they breathe their last, I would hope. But I'm not going to be so dense that I would believe that every person that I've ever seen walk in the body of Christ and, and sit in a pew, if they breathe their last breath, is going to stand before God and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to believe that. And that's why week in and week out, I continue to proclaim, I continue to shout the truth to the greatest of my ability as God empowers me to do it because it does matter. It matters. Why? It matters because if you breathe your last breath and you don't know Jesus Christ, and I'm not even talking about knowing Christianity, knowing theology, I'm talking about you assessing your life against the picture of Matthew chapter 7 when it talks about the fruit of a follower of Jesus Christ, and I would encourage you to have an honest conversation with yourself if you look at that versus the fruit in your life, if you were to say, I don't see it happening, get honest with yourself, and I tell you why, because it matters. Why does it matter? Because if you could begin to comprehend the length of eternity, you'd understand the magnitude of why it matters. More importantly, Jesus died for you. Jesus paid a price we could never pay for you, for me. He loves us with a love that is infinite, it is unending. It is limitless. And tonight, his desire for us is to not spend our eternity separated from him. His desire for us is to dwell eternally with him as we see in the Garden of Eden. His desire has always been to dwell with man. Look at the Israelites. Look at God in the temple. God desired to be with his people. Amen? There's no greater picture in God's word of his zealous desire to be with his people. You can't say, God doesn't love me. God's nowhere. He hadn't done. No, 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 no. It doesn't have anything to do with him. It has everything to do with us if there's an issue. God never changes God's desire when we dwell in sin, when we take up a thought, an action, or something that separates us from his presence. God's desire is for us to be restored to him as we push him out by the activity that forces him out of our presence. Does that mean that God doesn't love us? We're not saved? Absolutely not. But look in the Old Testament. When there was sin in the camp, they had cast themselves. They placed themselves outside of the camp by their desire to do what they wanted to do. And that is where that isolation feeling comes from. God's desire for us is to be within the camp Dwelling in his presence continually. We can look at Psalms. We can look at Ecclesiastes. We can look at Proverbs and find out what happens when sin's allowed to run rampant in lives of believers. Your bones will waste away in your sin. Look at the pain in King David's life as a result and the consequences. This is not God's desire. God's desire is to make us whole. Amen? God's desire tonight is to heal you. God's desire is to, number one, heal you spiritually. Because the spiritual healing tonight that God brings is a spiritual healing that nothing else can. And I hope tonight you found Proverbs, or sorry, Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5. We'll get back to what I was just talking about. If you're able, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you've made my days just as inches long. My lifespan is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. 
Father, tonight, God, hide me behind the cross. Lord, let your word, the word of God, Lord, the power, let it speak as only you can. Father, let your spirit speak to our hearts. God, convict. Lord, do what only you can do tonight through this truth, Father. Lord, let us be honest with ourselves. Let us do introspective pictures. Let us look. Let us examine, as your word says, to do ourselves, to see that we're in the faith. Father, I pray that not one person here tonight would leave with any question that they know you. They're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, having been converted, desiring to live the life that you have called and commanded them to live. And may you alone be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. First part of verse 4 again. For my, here we are, my Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days. What does that say? Teach us the number of Solomon. Teach us the number of our days. Great picture, right? Some versions, you know, some of the versions even reference, teach us the number of our days. Very important to do this because when we're aware of our end, when we're able to number our days, what happens? If you, okay, let's just put this in perspective. First thing I want to share as you're doing that, any day can be our last day. Any day can be our last day. That's the first thing I want you to reflect on tonight. Now, don't you just wish God had put a little clock above our heads? Thank you. No way. Because I know one thing. I'd have been in front of some people at, at times and freaked completely out. Why? Because I stood before people who were gone the next day. I stood in front of people who were gone within minutes. I walked into a man's house one morning to come see him before he did, and literally, when I walked in that room, he walked out into eternity. Can you imagine watching those clocks? Imagine tonight if you stood in your clock and you looked in your mirror at home and you were able to see the amount of time you had left. My question is, if it was small amount of time, how would you start living? I want you to be honest with yourself. Huh? What would you be investing in? What would you be thinking about? What would you be doing? I would say people who had a longer amount on that clock, you might go, huh, I got plenty of time. But I assure you the ones tonight that above our clocks that looked a lot shorter than you desired to see, you might get that real cold feeling inside if you know what I'm talking about. It's when you've been bad when you were a kid and your parent walked in or a teacher or somebody and you all of a sudden got that icy hot feeling all over your body, right? That is the body rushing all the blood to the organs because it's called uh, what? Fight or flight syndrome, and you were wanting to flight. You ain't going to fight. You were wanting to flight, but you couldn't flight, so you had to stand there and endure it. That feeling you had was an adrenaline rush to try to save your body because you think something terrible is going to happen. It's a feeling of impending doom. <clears throat> the greatest level of people that I've ever heard that know they're getting ready to die, there's a, an actual thing they teach us about in nursing school. I've known about it since I was in nursing years ago. Some people get a feeling of impending doom. One nurse had that uh, patient say that one night. She was actually one of my teachers. And she sat down next to this woman and said, there is nothing wrong with you. You are fine. We've checked everything. She said, I feel like something terrible is going to happen. She said, there is nothing wrong with you. She hemorrhaged and died right in front of her. And this woman was sharing the regret that she had because she could have been more 
compassionate in a sense and not trying to say there's nothing wrong with you when you weren't being truthful with her. You know, you can say we've done everything we can, we can't find anything wrong, but she had assured her that she was fine and she, and she had said, I'm gonna die, and she said, no, you're not. And she really bothered, was really bothered by that. That's sometimes the only thing that some people get. But my question is tonight, you might think, well, you know, maybe I can have one of those experiences where I get old and die in my sleep. Well, wouldn't that just be wonderful if everybody could die? It doesn't happen that way, does it? There's a lot of ways to go, sadly. And a lot of them aren't very exciting. You don't sit around and go, oh, let me drown. Let me be burned in a fire. Wouldn't that be exciting? Let me my car break down on a desolate road somewhere in a snowstorm and me sit out there and breathe. No, there's not things that you get excited about and want to think about. But the problem is we don't get to choose. What can we do though? I'm going to say it in two words. Be ready. What does that entail? That doesn't entail you sit in church and think, well, I came to church and God loves me and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, but I don't do anything for him and I'm so thankful I'm going to heaven one day. If that's the extent of your salvation, I, we need to talk. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to want to work for him and serve him in whatever capacity that God has called you to. And you don't do that because you know that you've got to go out and work. You do it because you're so thankful that Jesus died for you. You want to be a part in helping the world do whatever it is that God's created you to do to be a part of. You're going to be a giver spiritually in the sense that you're going to give your life to him. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live, but Christ lives in me. You are a person that is living the purpose, plan, and will that God has for your life. You are doing what it says. Wake up every day and give your life as what? Lay it down as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice costs you something, not necessarily even money every day. It has to do with you saying, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to wake up tomorrow. You place me where I need to be placed. Put me where I need to be put, Lord. God, you use me like the brush strokes of a, a, a palette or a, a canvas for a painter. Lord, like someone building a puzzle. You're the puzzle master. I'm not. I don't know anything about where I should be. Lord, use me. Place me. God, everything's yours. My money, my house, my family, my job. It's all yours. You know what happens when you do that? If you're actually living that, you're living God's purpose and plan for your life. You recognize how short life is and you have nothing this old world has to offer you that you want anything to do with. You recognize the call to be in the world, not of the world. You're not wasting your time, your talents, and your resources on this foolishness of the fleeting things of life. Climbing a corporate ladder only to gain more what? responsibility and more time away from your family so you don't get to have the time with your family and shepherding. Uh, this is the thing about, somebody asked me recently, you know, when you go in, what should you ask for? When you go in for a job interview, they said, you know what I told them? I said, well, I don't know about you, but let me just tell you what I'd say if I'm going into the corporate world. I'm going to say, when they say, how much do you need? Say, I'm not here because I'm retired and I'm not doing missions work here. I've got a family to feed. I want as much money as I can every hour that I'm here away from my family. And I said, there's nothing wrong in saying that. Because when you're going, as God's led you to go to a company, there's nothing wrong with you being paid properly to do what they have asked you to do or are or, or looking at you to potentially do for that company. You gain value for the company. You don't see your shortchange, oh, I'll see, I can, maybe I can come in for $18 an hour. Why would you shortchange yourself 
you're away from your family, and then you're starving, meaning you're broke and tired instead of broke and rested, right? Don't leave your home and shortchange your family because you feel like you're doing someone a favor to go to work. If you're a ministry person or you're a person that's independently wealthy, do it all day long. Go work for free if that's what God calls. But see, we don't have but a limited amount of time. And as the Blueprints for Life study that we did 14 years ago maybe here, I'll never forget the Blueprints for Life study in the sense that what did we learn the first week? We are going to rob someone every single day. If you were in that study, I hope you never forgot that statement. Anybody in it that did remember that? Okay, praise God. You're gonna rob somebody every single day. The question is prioritizing the robbing. Robbing, I'm not even talking about in the sense of stealing something that's not yours. There's people that you're not gonna be able to spend time with that you want to, but you can't. So what do you have to do? You have to prioritize the people in your life that God has. You have to be as faithful and do exactly what these scriptures, numbering your days, so that you have a, a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom doesn't come from man's knowledge, it's from God's knowledge. So what we have to do is wake up every morning recognizing how short life is, realizing this could be the last day that you ever have to make an impact for the kingdom. The kingdom universal. Not the kingdom Longview. We're just a part of the kingdom, but we are all inclusive. A-L-L, all part of the kingdom of heaven as professed, converted followers of Christ Jesus. So we are building a kingdom universal. Amen? We are walking in unison with brothers and sisters in Christ who may not sing how we do. Brothers and sisters in Christ that don't dress how we do. But we are all one in Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ unites us. And I'm thankful about that. And I'm thankful that when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that there'll be some things theologically that we were off base with. You know what's wonderful about it? God knows our hearts, and there's going to be others that go, and they're going to find out that they were closer in their theology than we were, or whatever it might be. But that's not what's going to matter is, what was the heart? Was the heart's desire to honor, glorify, and serve Christ? And did you follow the Spirit's leading and not grieve the Spirit in being out of God's will, purpose, plan, and desire for your life because you thought you had it made or were you genuinely, humbly seeking God's face in Scripture, letting God lead you? And those little things, I really don't think are going to matter a hill of beans. Amen? Now, when people want to say, Jesus was married and had a family, you better get out of my faith. We're going to fight. Those are fighting words. When I hear these people, documentaries that say, oh, he had a family and he was a... No. Jesus did not have children. And Jesus was not married. Amen? Hey, Jesus Christ is the living, holy Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, came here with the sole purpose of dying on the cross for us. Jesus Christ was here for no other reason. He wasn't here to entertain. He wasn't here to establish some eternal earthly kingdom. He was here to establish the eternal kingdom under the new covenant. And that occurred when what happened on the cross was finished. No longer did hell and death have a hold on us. He, what he did, he kicked Satan's teeth in and took back the title deed to earth. And on that third day, victoriously, triumphantly rose from the dead. And I'm excited tonight that there is no fear in death. I'm thankful tonight that though life is short, it doesn't matter if it's tomorrow or if it's 50 years from now for that matter. I'm ready to go and I want to live every day like it's my last day so I can be faithful with what God's given me. I want to be faithful with the time, the talents, the resources. I want to live like it's my last day, but I want to prepare like it's going to be another thousand years. Because if we do not do that, what's going to happen to the next generation? If we sit back soaking in all this blessing that God's given us and not preparing because Jesus is coming back. They said that in the 62, didn't they? 
And sadly, we're reaping the consequences of a whole lot of people that sat back convinced there was no way in the world that Jesus wouldn't come back in their lifetime. And these little churches now are dead. They're dried up. They're gone. Because they forgot to look at a vision any past the day that they would breathe their last earthly breath living a natural earthly life. And the sad thing is, look at the ramifications of that. That's why we can't get this wrong, church. We get this wrong. We're post-Christian like Europe is. We get this wrong, and there's not going to be a beacon of hope in lighthouses. There'll be very few and far between in this nation. There's going to be people that are going to be headed into this short life and out of this short life, never knowing the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ because we became complacent. May God have mercy on us if we do. Amen? Church, any day can be our last day. Live it like it's your last day right now. Start living that. If nothing else, pray that God would give you a heart that could discern the brevity, the shortness of life. Go home and put a pot of water on the stove. Stick a chair in front of it. I don't care what your family thinks about you. Watch that right there and understand the equation of that in the human condition. It is but a vapor. My mother up in Baltimore took care of some of the most wealthy people in this nation, one of the, the premier jockeys that had, that had been a, a, a jockey, one of the world-class winners, had won his entire life, dying of cancer by himself in his room, no family, no nobody. My mother was the only, the only per se, family that he had. My mother ended up ministering to him and leading him to Christ. Nobody. Man was lost. He'd been so famous, but as his body racked with cancer, was in this very expensive cancer unit on hospice, he had nobody. Imagine. You think you're somebody? Retire. You'll find out real quick. You know what they do? They replace you quick. And it doesn't take a few years. That nice little mural they have up you in there, the, the, the statue, the, the, the things on the wall, they move those when some young whippersnapper comes in there. They do a makeover, and guess what happened? The winds of time blow the sands of time, and they say, who? Nobody remembers you. So you sacrifice your family for your job. You sacrifice for nothing. Remember, if God has you do it, God will bless it exponentially. It will be in line with his will, his purpose, his plan, his desire. He'll bring fulfillment. He'll bring peace. And he'll give a sense of unity in the need to have to work at the current level that you're doing if that's what you have to do. But don't dare do it. Because ready? As I've heard, I'll never forget coming in one particular person's mouth. One day, I'm going to shortly be able to just relax and not have to do anything. They never made it. The whole entire structure that he wanted to have, the family unit, blew all to pieces. And they never got this chance to spend this time. They were so convinced that it was just over the hilltop. Second part of verse 4 and then 5. So Lord, make me aware of the end, the number of days, what, so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you made my days just inches long. My lifespan is nothing to you. Second thing that I don't want to share, a hundred years is nothing in comparison to eternity. A hundred years. 
Somebody passed away in our community that was 103 years old uh, like two days ago. 103 years, 103. So I got to doing the math on it, and I thought we'd bring that back to 1920. If her parents were 20 years old, they were born in 1900. If her parents were 30 years old, they were born in 1890. If her parents were 40 years old, that's 1880. <laughs> Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Seems like it. But you know what? I like nothing. It's a vapor. 100 years is nothing. But what's so hard for me is when I see these kids, young, you know, 10, 12, 15, so many of those between 15 and 25-ish die. Accidents, meningitis, it happens all the time. And it always bothers me because I always think they didn't even have life. They were just young. They never got to experience, you know. They had uh, one uh, last week that the, the couple just got married and something happened. The wife, the golf cart, yes. They literally left the ceremony and a drunk driver ran in the back of the golf cart and killed the wife on the way out from the wedding. Now, I don't know who the person was, but you know what my, my instantaneous thought was, God, I sure hope she knew you. It's exactly what I said. Because death is no respecter of persons. See, Scripture says, our days have been ordained before the foundations of the world. Church, they're already done. They're already established. It's already there. There is a clock above our heads. We just don't know that. And God is just reiterating to me the importance of us recognizing the importance of that fact. Not to be scared of that. There's no reason at all to be scared of that. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's something that you desire to be and to do and to experience one day because that is the culmination of everything that we're doing right now in preparation for that day. Do you realize the moment you breathe your last breath and you're transported in the presence of King Jesus, everything that you ever thought you longed for in this life will literally be like going right now and getting excited about jumping in a trash can full of the drippings off of other trash cans. That's what this life is going to be like when we see the face of our God, our King, our Lord. This is all going to just flow into nothing. You wouldn't come back, and I will not come back for anything on this planet if you're a believer. But an impending horror will unfold for those who aren't followers of Christ that I can't even begin to fathom. Why is it so important to step back, to do introspective looks, so that, as Paul says, we might not be deceived? Because Scripture says that men, and by the way, that means women too, are deceived at times. It doesn't matter that you show up here. It doesn't matter what your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather did. I don't care what they did. It's wonderful if they serve the Lord, but that's past. We won't stand there with them. We will stand there on our own merits. You will stand there with what you did with Jesus Christ. And if you did not act, 
on the gift of salvation extended through Jesus Christ and place your faith and trust in him when you recognize there was no way to bridge that gap, if you do not do that, brother or sister, I'm going to tell you what scripture says, you are lost and without hope right this moment. But there's a possibility tonight by hearing that and getting honest with yourself, having an honest conversation, put back everything you've ever heard. What happens if somebody, they would just, they wouldn't, they couldn't believe that I, they just wouldn't know what to stop it. That's the enemy. And if you have an issue right now that's making you say, I don't believe I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to get to the bottom of it. First of all, right, we're going to have one thing. The enemy is going to tell you, Ain't nothing wrong with you. He's up there just talking tonight. He's blowing a bunch of hot air. He's wound up. He's got you wound up now. The enemy wants you to do that. There's nothing wrong. Everything's fine. You know, you know you're a good Christian. You hear that word right there and you hear that voice in your ear, you better run. And where I'm going to tell you to run is run to the altar. You know why? Because that is a voice right there that's deceiving you. But when you sit inside and you go, you know, I serve the Lord with everything in me and I just battle this, feel like I'm, I can't do enough. Let me tell you one thing. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit right there because the enemy wants to try to say, you don't do enough. You're this, you're that. I'm talking about the conviction that you have for something that you're not even doing. It's the enemy saying you'll never be good enough. And then you respond to him with, I will never be good. He is good enough and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I recognize that my righteousness is as filthy rags and it makes me rejoice because I'm a new creation in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. See, so important as we watch Jesus, what did he do? Use scripture to rebuke and refute the enemy's lies. But I really, I, I just encourage you tonight here on, online, introspectively, do what Paul says. Examine yourselves periodically to see that you're in the faith. Do you have a passion, desire to be in God's presence? If not, I always ask, why not? Why not? I got to share with those two fellows today, and they're, I just love the way they look. And I said, brothers, I don't know if y'all are in the Word every day, but I said, if you're not, please do it. I challenge our people I said, by the way, your young people, if you have any of your young people wanting to spring loose from your lifestyle and your, you please just let me come down there and I'll be glad to talk to all of them. I'll be glad to talk to your young men or young women who are struggling with wanting to spring out to go find and fulfill the desires of the flesh, thinking there's something out there for them. I said, I've seen it all and there's nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus will fill what the desires of the flesh think they can fill apart from him. It only brings destruction. So it's so encouraging that I was able to, nothing else, encourage these brothers. I don't know if they read every day, but I hope they do. And tonight, though, to just encourage them to run that race faithfully, to recognize how short life was, because we had a long conversation about that. And then the, the last part in verse um, 5, and we're done. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. Live the life that God gave you to the fullest and waste not one minute of it. Don't waste your life. Don't squander your life on anything other than God's desire and plan for your life. Don't get caught in this foolishness. You hear the world, oh, it's that midlife crisis, you know. They're going to just run off and start over again. You know, God understands. No, he doesn't. Don't you break camp with the family of your youth. Amen? If you think anything about it, go to Micah and read about that. Or Malachi, sorry. Read about that. Read all through scripture. Don't break camp with the family, the blessings that God's given you, because I will promise you, the other side of that fence is painted asphalt. You'll dive head first into something that'll break your neck. 
And you'll find yourself spiritually paralyzed, potentially for life, not able to do anything because you made such a big old mess that you can't serve anywhere or do anything anymore because you have such a catastrophic disaster that you have to wade through. And sometimes it can physically put you in a wheelchair for life because God loves you that much. Why does he love you that much? He paid too much, too high of a price to let us go out and squander our lives on worthless living chasing the fleeting desires of the flesh, which only lead to destruction. You have the question tonight to ask yourself, doesn't matter how old you are, you think you can't wake up dead tomorrow? That's why I always say wake up dead. You've lost your mind. The youngest person here does not have the promise of tomorrow. No one does. And my encouragement to you is God's laid this so heavy on my heart, I can't even understand why he has, but I'm telling you, church, it's so heavy on my heart and I know there's always a reason for it. If you're the person in here tonight that that's the reason or watching online tonight and you're sitting there going, he is preaching to me, I want to tell you right now, don't give me the credit for what the Holy Spirit of God's doing in your heart. I can't change hearts. I can't convict you. I can passionately share with the greatest passion I have in me what God lays in my heart, but I know tonight that God has given me such a heavy heaviness on the brevity of life and whether you're a genuine converted follower of Jesus Christ tonight, I ask you to answer that yourself. If you want to talk to me about it, I'll be glad to. But that's between you and him. I just want to challenge you in that tonight and tell you if you have any doubt that you're not a converted but follower of Christ, I'm telling you, don't point back to some feeling you had at some point in your life. I want you to look at the time that you became a follower of Jesus Christ. I will tell you what you'll be able to do. You will look back at that time, and there is a definitive transformation that will have happened in you, and you will say, I was converted, and God has transformed me. Does it mean that you never battle, you never struggle, or you never have a thought you shouldn't know? It doesn't. We're going to battle this flesh till the day that we die. But you became a follower of Jesus Christ, and you will never forget that day. It's like Saul on the road to Damascus telling him, do you remember that? Not really. It's a faint memory. I can promise you he'd tell you the day that he was converted the same way that I can tell you the day I was in the whole hospital yesterday. And I literally stood down and looked at the hall where I gave my life to Christ, that hospital bed. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that the rest of my Now, I might go senile. That's a whole different ballgame. But I cannot forget the day that Jesus Christ saved me. I can't. I didn't have no church there. There was no music playing. There wasn't a bunch of people. I was by myself. I'll never forget it. But God transformed me that day. And today, that is a place of life for me. Though it was like an old haunted hospital, that is a place of life. That's the place that Jesus Christ transformed. It's, all, it's a, that rock of remembrance for me of what God did. He transformed me. He turned me. I hope tonight that you know that point when Jesus Christ came into your life, your heart, you repent of your sin, you ask him to be your savior, the Lord of your life, you paste your faith and trust in him. And if you can't point to that, I would encourage you to either speak with me tonight, begin praying, God, reveal the condition of my heart, because there is so much at stake, church. This is eternity. This is a God that desires to walk with you, to carry your burdens, to dwell with you. Why in the world would you want to dwell in the presence of this life of death and brokenness and hurt and miss the extreme pleasure of dwelling in his presence, not only now, but eternally one day. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship 
and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners, we're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.